Welcome to the Sisters Community Church Podcast. What is love? The Bible says that God is love. What does that mean? Well, in today's episode, Pastor Ryan Moffitt continues our series in 1 John, where we pick it up in chapter 4. Let's listen. If you have your Bible, open it up to 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to continue looking at this epistle of John and seeing what it is that this text tells the church. Uh, Recently, I was reading a, a story from a seminary professor, and this professor was teaching all these young, eager, idealistic young men and women the Word of God, and he was an old, seasoned Christian, an old, seasoned pastor and seminary professor, and he got to teach on his favorite topic in all the world. He, this professor said, if I had one topic to pick, I would pick this topic, and it was the topic of the love of God. And as he went to this room full of eager, excited, energetic, world-changing 18 to 20-somethings, he asked them, how many of you guys believe in the love of God? And guess how many hands shot up out of 120? 120. Awesome, right? And then he said, how many of you regularly experience the love of God in a way that your life is moved emotionally, relationally, morally? How many of you guys are feasting on the love of God and it's actually your lived experience that motivates and you live out of the love of God? And out of 120 young, eager, energized idealistic 20-somethings, three hands went up. So as we come to this passage this morning, Steve and I have been saying over and over again that what John is doing is he's, he's going to talk about this objective thing that God has done for us in Christ. He's going to say, we, we saw it with our eyes, we touched it with our hands, we heard it with our ears concerning the, the word of life, and this life was made manifest. An objective thing has happened. God has acted definitively in the incarnation in Christ. And so the rest of the letter, John's going to keep circling these three themes and these three tests, and we're going to come to this passage this morning, and what John's going to say is this. He wants this objective thing, this theoretical thing or theological thing. He wants it to become actualized. He wants it to become catalyzed and functional in our lives so we're living out of the place of the love of God. So what I would like to do is would ask you to stand. I want to read the scriptures and then I want to make some observations. So we just stand because the word of God is the word of God and we stand in, to honor the word of God this morning. Let's read 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. You may be seated. This passage tells us four things, and we're going to look at each one of them for a few moments this morning. Number one, this passage tells us actually the origins and the definition of love. Number two, this passage tells us about the core nature of God. Number three, it tells us three things we need to know about the love of God. And finally, number four, it tells us the obstacles, the, the real challenges to experiencing the love of God, but it also gives us the strategy, okay? So here we go. Number one, this passage tells us the origins and the definitions of love. We live in a culture today where everybody wants to define love. You guys remember, maybe remember the song, What is Love? Children of the 80s, Baby Don't Hurt Me, right? Are you with me? What is love? It's a highly debated issue today. So many worldviews today actually hijack the Christian conclusion. They want the home run hit of the, of the conclusion of the gospel, mainly this idea to love one another, but they've discarded all, all the things that are built into the conclusion to love one another. So one Russian philosopher, Vladimir, I'm going to butcher his last name. Some of you Russian studies folks, you can correct me later. Vladimir, I'm just going to call him Vladimir. Russian philosopher Vladimir. <laughs> I nailed that. <laughs> he sarcastically summarized the worldview of human, humanism this way. Man descended from apes, therefore, love one another. Do you see what he's doing there? We've got a Darwinian humanistic ethos, but then we borrow Christianity's conclusion. And so much of our world today wants to hijack the definition of love. C.S. Lewis famously said, whoever controls the dictionary wins. Our culture would define love this way. It's celebrating anybody and everything regardless of ethical implications. So if we don't celebrate something regardless, then you don't love people. That's our culture's definition. The radical, individualistic, therapeutic answer is this. Love is simply whatever makes me feel good. Here's what's wrong with that postmodern, mushy nonsense. What happens when what makes me feel good makes you feel... Because what makes me feel good is what? Making you feel bad. It's a conflict of, of individualism. But the biblical definition of love is this. Love is God's inclination to move towards his creation with grace and compassion to, cons to secure the highest good for his creation and to do good to his creation. Biblical love is actually about this move. It's about incarnation and God meeting us where we're at to lift us to our highest good. 
And so the origin of love, according to 1 John, guess what? It's not our definition. The origin of love, we didn't come up with it. Hallmark movies, as great as they are, they didn't come up with it. This is why we like Hallmark movies, though. There's an echo, there's a whisper of the source. And these echoes and these whispers are simply pointing to the reality. They're tributaries. Don't stay in the tributaries, run to the ocean. And so we learn from this passage the origins and the definitions of love. Do you guys see that? Love is from God. And this is why this great mystery of where can I find a love that will never fail? Do you guys know that most media today, most entertainment today, most stories today, they're just echoes and whispers and faint reminders of the real story. They're all trying to find the answer to this question. Where will there be a love that will never fail? Love, and you will not find it until you find him, because love is from God. Its origins are rooted in God. The second thing this passage tells us, it tells us about the nature of God. You guys see that? God is love. There's some really amazing God is statements in the Bible. God is one, Deuteronomy 6. It's speaking to his relational triune nature, unified nature. John 4, uh, Jesus says that God is spirit. God is not a created physical being. Uh, 1 John chapter 1, God is light. This reflects his trustworthiness. He's the source of truth. He's the source of beauty. But we come to this passage in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, and the apostle John says that God is love. The love of God is the chief attribute of God. It's tied to the relational nature out of God. And here's the beautiful thing about the Christian version of this God is that this God, as opposed to many other worldviews, as Steve talked about last week, this God creates not out of anger. This God doesn't create out of like insecurity. I better procreate so people can see how great I am. This God actually creates out of infinite love within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. Listen to this from C.S. Lewis in his book, mere Christianity. He says this, all sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love, but they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. So when scripture says that God is love, it means at the core of who God is, is totally relational. And this is why the deepest pains in our lives, friends, are relational hurts. There's no pain like relational pain because there's no hurt like relational hurt because there's no 
identity so closely tied to the heart of God than the identity we have in relationship. This is the distinction of the biblical God. And in most religions, God is powerful or he's angry or he's really, really displaced from humanity or he's just kind of like us, just a little bit better. But in the biblical God, we see the relational nature. Listen to this from Jonathan Edwards. This is a paragraph if I've ever seen one. Oh my gosh. He says, there in heaven, this infinite fountain of love, this eternal three-in-one is set open without any obstacle to hinder access to it as it flows forever. There this glorious God is manifested and shines forth in full glory and beams of love. And there this glorious fountain forever flows forth in streams, yea, in rivers of love and delight. And these rivers swell, as it were, to an ocean of love, in which the souls of the ransom may bathe with the sweetest enjoyment, and their hearts, as it were, be deluged with love. Those old-timers, they knew how to write, huh? What a metaphor. I mean, I read that, and it just like, felt like a Thomas Kincaid painting, like went into my heart or something. It made me happy. Here's why this is important. We'll never move towards a God that we think is just kind of angry at us. We'll never get honest. We'll never get humble. We'll never get real. We'll live in personas. We'll pretend. If we think God's just kind of up there in the skies, kind of really angry, get a big, long white beard, he's kind of doing this, just kind of like, you losers, you know? This God is totally relational. And I always go back to the first time we see sin. They hide, and what does God do? He comes. Where are you? Where are you? Three things we learn from this text about the love of God. Number one, we learn that God's love was made manifest. You guys see that in verse nine? In this, the love of God was made manifest, that God sent. God's love is not theoretical. It's actual. So if I just uh, told Michelle all the time, hey, I really love you. She's like, hey, can you help with the dishes? And I'm like, no, I told you I love you. She's like, no, I need to be embodied love. God doesn't just go with a good intention, like a warm feeling. God's emotion, but his volition. God loves us in here and he loves us with action. God's love becomes embodied and that's gonna become an important motivation and example as John talks about the love of God for us, therefore the love of God for one another. So we can't, John's gonna get to the end of this text and he's gonna say this, as God has done for us in Christ, so you must do to one another. And here's the problem, many of us don't have an embodied love. Like, I love people in here where, you know, where, where I'm supposed to, but do you ever follow through? How are we doing with taking care of people and showing up when they need help? Had a friend call me this week and uh, 
Oh, I better grab that. That's my kid's uh, thing to check her out of nursery. She's going to be here till next week. Hey, Dad, where were you? How are the goldfish? Um, um, had a friend call me this week, and he just said, thanks for being a good friend. I was like, what do you mean? And he went on to tell me how a little thing that I did with him really meant a lot to him. And I thought, you know, this guy could have just said, well, it meant a lot to me in here. But he took the time, picked up the phone, called me, and guess what it did for me? It encouraged me. Friends, we can't just have good intentions. It's got to be an embodied love. But the second thing we see about the love of God I want you to see is that God's love is honest, okay? Now watch, what, what do I mean when I say this? Verse 10, in this is love, not that we love God, but that God love us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love is honest. What is it honest about? It's honest about our condition. It's honest. To, notice this. The word love keeps showing up, right? In, in John's, uh, uh, the Apostle John's letter. The word, he's the apostle of love, right? It keeps showing up. Does John shy away from the human condition? Not at all. God's love comes in the middle of what? Our condition. What's our condition? Sin. We have a lot of sin. Sin kills us. Sin hurts God. It dehumanizes us. It mars the image of God in us. It kills us from the inside out. It's a spiritual cancer and it disconnects us from God. And so I want to make sure we, we see from this passage that God does not just have a sentimental love where he kind of overlooks or kind of d diminishes our weaknesses and just doesn't really, we don't really talk about that, that's too hard. God comes to the hardest place, sees it fully and loves us anyway. I think parenting has a way of working the sentimental nonsense out of us. I remember um, when our, our second, this is probably 12 years ago, we were sleep training. You guys don't remember the sleep training days? Getting your kid to move from a crib to a bed. Anyone remember that? Anyone sleep training today? We need to pr I see that hand. I pray for you. Um, it's like spiritual warfare. It's horrible. Um, and our daughter, did. She once she realized I'm not in a crib, which is kind of just a you know, it's a humane way to cage a kid. Um, it's like a legal way to cage a child. Um, but we moved her out of her crib and into our bed. And she knew real quickly, oh, I'm not in a cage anymore. And so this one night, um, we're like, okay, tonight's the night. We're making the transition. And uh, she came out, I think, over 20 times. And by the end, she was coming out and we, we heard her crying back there. We're here doing all the stuff. She's a little tyke, two and a half year old at the time. And by the end, she was just coming out and looking at me and Michelle going, spanking? Spanking? <laughs> it's like, man, we've trained you well. But, um, <laughs> but something happened that, that week of sleep training. Um, the pain was too great. This is the only time in our life, Michelle and I, we got into video games. We were like, we, this is so bad. And we, the, the pain of actually dealing with the real situation, we can't do it anymore. 
We're gonna play Xbox Lord of the Rings and try and win this thing. I'll be Aragon, you're Legolas, let's roll. <laughs> That's not how God loves us. He doesn't mute out our pain. He doesn't have to be flattery and say we're better than we are. God comes to us in our real condition and deals with it. Propitiation of what? What does it mean to propitiate? It means to appease. It means to satisfy. What does it satisfy? I think it satisfies two things. It satisfies the judge, justice of God, but it also satisfies the love of God. It's manifesting both the crosses. So God's love is honest about the human condition. It's, it can deal with our real stuff. Listen to this quote from Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. He says this, to be loved but not known is it's comforting, but it's superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. God's love is honest about who we really are. And last thing we see in this passage is that God's love becomes the model for our love. Because 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God. So you can be triple doctorate in biblical studies. You can know Greek and Hebrew. You can do it all. But if you have love, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, you have what? If you don't have love, you have what? Nothing. If I give my body to be burned... If I give everything away, if I speak in the tongue with men and angels, he gives five things. And he says, if I have all five, but I don't, five minus one equals zero in the New Testament. But I want to be honest this morning and I want to say this. There's an ongoing disconnect for many of us between the theoretical or theological love of God and our lived experience. There's a, there's a chasm, there's a gap. In fact, our, our lived experience, for most of us, has probably formed us to say relationally things like, people are risky. It's hard to trust. A lot of young people I know having parents or a dad or a mom leave. I was talking to a young woman recently. She told me the painful story. She remembers, she's a grown woman now, but she remembers her dad leaving when she was eight years old, 15 years ago, but it was like yesterday for her. So far too many of us go, that's awesome, that sounds really good. Love the Edwards quote, love the Kincaid picture, Ryan. Uh, that's really happy. Uh, that's not my lived experience. My lived experience is that there's a lot of pain. And so how do we, how do we navigate that gap? How do we fill that chasm? And John's actually gonna give us, he's gonna be honest about the obstacle and he's gonna give us a strategy. So you guys ready? Look at this. Beloved, verse 11, if God so loved us, 
we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. There's the obstacle. There's the obstacle. How many of you guys were like, yeah, I was with the Lord this morning and he was just sitting there and we're having coffee and I saw his face and it was great. Couple crazy people, that's it. Okay, good. <laughs> no one's ever seen God. We have intimacy with God, but, but John's gonna say, the way we actually embody this and we display and we show what God is like, it's how we relate to one another. And so, Jesus said this in John 13, 35, by this, by what? This new commandment I give to you, love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. And so here's the amazing opportunity. There's an obstacle, no one has ever seen God. Here's the opportunity. You guys, y'all, we get an opportunity to make the invisible God visible. You get to show one another what he's like. What is he like? Gracious, compassionate, kind, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, generous, forgiving. And here's the trick. When that happens, it puts something on display that the world and all the ideologies of humanism and all the philosophical nonsense, they are left scratching their head going, I can't explain that. Jesus says, when we do this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Francis Schaeffer wrote a great book called The Mark of a Christian. Anyone read that one? Okay, I'm, I'm really loving Francis Schaeffer right now. So if you haven't read Francis, he's really, really nerdy, but really good. So check it out. All right, here's what he says in his book, Mark of a Christian. He says this, this is the whole point. The world is going to judge whether Jesus has been sent by the Father on the basis of something that is open to observation. We have a part in showing the beauty of God. Our relationships, they're not peripheral. They're central. We cannot say we love God and not love one another. He goes on to say this, I want to say with all my heart, as we struggle with the proper preaching of the gospel in the midst of the 20th century, the importance of observable love must come into our message. We must not forget the final apologetic. The world has a right to look upon us as we as true Christians come to practical differences and it should be able to observe what we, that we do love each other. Our love must have a form that the world may observe. It must be seeable. And so as I close this morning, I wanna ask this question. Why don't we love? Why don't you love? Why don't I love? We love we don't love because we love ourselves too much. We're actually preoccupied with looking out for number one. We don't love because we've been hurt. Remember a month ago when Steve shared that great C.S. Lewis quote, to love is to be vulnerable. If you wanna make sure you 
take it out and you bury your heart, but then it becomes unbreakable, impenetrable, because to love is to be vulnerable. Too many kids have had a parent or parents abandon them. Too many spouses have been abandoned. We've been wounded. We live in a wounded age. We have real pain. But John's going to say something that's ultimate, even above those. He's going to say, the reason we don't love is because we haven't experienced the love of God. One of my old pastors, Alan Halafka, used to always remind us, we tend to treat others how we think God is treating us. So Martin Luther says this, the sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and we must take matters into our own hands. The work isn't to do more. The work isn't to be more loving. The work's to believe the the work has been done on the cross. I want to tell you a story here to close. Um, this is a story I heard from a, a pastor I was listening to maybe five years ago. And I don't remember the names, so I just changed them. If you heard the sermon and I messed the names up, I just had to put that disclaimer out because somebody inevitably will be like, I listened to that same sermon and you messed up some details. So here, I, I am owning that. I messed them up. Story went like this. Young girl, Sarah, grew up, had an awesome family, Mom and dad loved her, church that loved her, youth group that loved her. But Sarah had a, uh, she had a prodigal spirit in her. She wanted to go taste the world. And so she started dabbling and started kind of playing both sides. But then Sarah found something in, specifically in drugs that was, began to numb her pain and numb her life. And this family watched this girl who was an awesome young woman and going places and, and you know, going to be an amazing part of this church. And, and, and by her junior year, she was almost incapacitated and numb from her drug addiction. And by her senior year, she told her mom and dad, I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with you guys anymore. I told the church, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm gone. And she went out and lived on the streets and Sarah began to do whatever she could to survive. You can imagine, right? Broken-hearted mom and dad. Broken-hearted church. Broken-hearted youth pastor. And mom and dad would find out reports from different people that lived in the drug world, how she was doing. The girl became completely addicted to meth. Saw pictures of her, she was down to skin and bone, prostituting, giving her life away. And one day, one day, dad got a call. He didn't recognize the number, let it go to voicemail. Finished the day off at work, grabbed his phone, called the voicemail. Heard a faint whisper of his daughter, he used to know her voice. And through her crackling, she said, dad, I'm a mess. My life is broken. I'm miserable, addicted. It's horrific. I know I've ruined every relationship and every bridge I've burned. I got enough money to make it to the train station in Philadelphia. I'll be there tonight from 6.30 to 6.35. I don't expect to see you. 
So dad did what any of us would do. Left her to herself so she could figure it out, right? No. She got, Sarah got to the train station that night and at 6.30, she saw one car in the parking lot and dad ran out of the car. Sarah, I'm here. And she collapsed. I don't deserve this, dad. I know you don't. I don't deserve being able to love you through this either. Let's go, let's eat, let's talk. Dad grabbed her, they took off. And Sarah's life got transformed. And friends, I share that because the gospel, that's the gospel. (laughs) That's what God has done for us in Christ. We were Sarah, all of us. God in Christ went big with his love. He embodied it. He didn't just have good intentions. He went all the way with it. He went further than Sarah's dad. He went to Calvary. And he took the hell you and I, it's not just the hell we deserve, it's the hell that we want. And he swallowed it. I love Bob Goff's book, Love Does. I want you to, want you to hear what he says. He says, that's one of the things about love. It just always ends up finding a way to express itself. It's never stationary. In the end, love doesn't just keep thinking about it or keep planning for it. Simply put, love does. Friends, go big with your love. God went big with his love for you. Let's go big with our love for one another in our community. And when we do, when we do, John says this, 1 John 5, verse 12. No one's ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is what? Perfected in us. Something is incomplete until we love one another. Something's unknowable until we love one another. Something is is theoretical but not lived experience until we love one another. And when we do that, we make the unseen God seen. And so where was the unseen God's love seen most vividly? It was at the cross of Jesus. I want to read this from A.W. Pink as we think about communion this morning. He said, Christ died not in order to make God love us. That's a bad view of the atonement. Like God's just mad and and then Jesus dies, so now we can... No, no, no. Christ died not in order to make God love us, but because he did love his people. Calvary is the supreme demonstration of divine love. Whenever you are tempted to doubt the love of God, Christian reader, go back to Calvary. God went big with his love for you. Go big with your love for one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are... In your essence, Father, Son, Spirit, triune God, infinite in love for your own nature. And thank you that this amazing truth in the gospel is that you invite us into this 
amazing relationship. God, in this is love, not that we love God. No, but that God, you loved us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that while we were rebellious, dark, focused on all the the wrong things, mainly ourselves, thank you that you loved us. God, would you help us as a church embody our love for one another in really beautiful ways? Thank you for all you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this encourages you to dive deeper into your relationship with God through prayer, scripture, worship, and community. We hope you can join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30. For more information, go to sisterschurch.com. Be blessed, friends.